Welcome to the CNS Podcast featuring Dr. Daryl Anaba, Research Director for CNS Productions. Hi, and welcome once again to the CNS Addiction Podcast. I'm Howard Lemaire, here with Dr. Daryl Anaba. And looking at uh, some stories in the news, we're seeing quite a few stories about the return of psychedelic drugs uh, making their way into actual official treatment domains, uh, looking at... Uh, at the use of um, magic mushrooms, for instance, uh, to treat end-of-life anxiety, amongst other things. And I think, Daryl, that you have a, a personal story, a personal connection with, with this particular story that showed up in CNN. Yeah, it was uh, quite surprising to me and, and maybe a little bit shocking to my wife that uh, CNN story about the use of peyote in the treatment of depression uh, sort of highlighted uh, her cousin's. Uh, Pamela's use or participating in a treatment study uh, of the uh, of uh, mescaline or the peyote cactus, the, the chemical from the peyote cactus in, in treating a, a long-term depression in her life. And all of these new stories hearken to or highlight uh, a real growing interest in looking at uh, various psychedelic drugs uh, for the use of both physical and uh, emotional or uh, psychiatric uh, conditions. Certainly you have uh, uh, marijuana being looked at, which I, I always classify marijuana as a psychedelic drug, uh, and I always it's being looked at uh, in its use in the treatment of, of chronic pain, of glaucoma, of multiple sclerosis, of wasting disease, of... Uh, as an appetite stimulant, things like that for physical illnesses. And then you've got the use of the, uh, the magic mushroom, psilocybin, and its uh, sort of uh, investigation as a medication that may be extremely helpful in the use of anxiety in people with cancer and other chronic illnesses and treating their anxiety states in their in their. Uh, emotional health as, as they approach their very serious conditions. And as, as my wife's niece uh, is participating in the use of pay, uh, peyote or mescaline in peyote to treat the uh, depression, there's, of course, ecstasy studies still going on, MDMA being used for depression. And there was a whole conference I think we talked about before occurring in Santa Cruz about uh, June of this year in right. which number of clinicians, therapists, and physicians got together to relook at psychedelics and harkens back really to the 1960s era when LSD was uh, being investigated by Stanislaw Groth, Timothy Leary, and a lot of other psychedelics, uh, the Department uh, of Psychoactive Drugs at the University of California when I was there at, at, the, at the pharmacy school became known as a better living through chemistry department as they were seeking out. I thought that was DuPont. Oh no, that was us. That was uh, uh, that was uh, Alexander Shogun, Anna Shogun, uh, Castanoli, Fred Myers, and a bunch of people there were looking at a variety, uh, a long series of uh, psychedelic, newly developing, designing psychedelic drugs that might have been helpful. They believe in treating a, a lot of major psychiatric illnesses. Then that '60s era with the abuse of psychedelic drugs uh, pretty much led to. Uh, the total ignoring or even worse, uh, real prosecution or, or 
pushing people away from looking at psychedelic drugs. They, they, it created a, a scene that they were going to be very unhealthy, especially with people with emotional problems should actually stay away from it. Right. So this new era is, is interesting and uh, used in control with proper diagnosis and proper monitoring, proper doses and proper situations, sit- settings and, and appropriate people. Uh, I've always felt that these drugs had tremendous potential good potential in, in helping people deal with a lot of emotional problems. Now, uh, now, how is it different now than it was 40 years ago? I mean, the, the drugs, are, is, it, is it because the culture has changed uh, and, and, and there's not the, the, the dynamic of the 60s and the 70s? Or have the, the, the drugs the drugs haven't changed themselves but maybe our understanding of them and and the, and the protocols involved in using them have changed i think that's a big part of it and also a big thing is the hysteria is not here you know you're not having just a rampant uh, diversion of these drugs onto the street with a lot of uh, a huge segment of society taking it and having the bum trips we do have this going on of course with the new uh, synthetic marijuanas that are out there, the salvia divinorum, the dragonflies, the foxy, methoxy, and things like that. They hit the street that are causing some of this, but it's not the, the wildfire type of spreading that occurred during the 60s. Uh, also, there's a, a great increase in the knowledge of how, what these things do and how they do it, and an increased knowledge of how they can be safe, more safely used and how they can be more controlled in, in people without getting them into serious trouble. One of the things uh, back in the 60s is nobody had a clue as to what the dosage uh, should be right. on these medications. Right. And oftentimes uh, street doses were so varied that people ended up getting uh, some very toxic doses that caused uh, tremendous emotional problems instead of helping emotional problems. Well, now with... Um, you know, our, our learning from the 60s and having a sort of Captain Tripper, a psychiatrist or a therapist who walks you through a trip, prepares you for a trip, makes sure that your ego strength and, and your emotional stability is strong enough to experience a, a major altered state of consciousness, I think we have a much uh, more controlled and a much safer and a much more effective use of these and look at these things in, in psychotherapy. Uh, the huge thing is that <clears throat> these things really change uh, the way you, you sort of see and interact with the world. All the things that you experience, I think, on psychedelics, or most of the things you experience, are always present in our environment, are present in things you interact with. But when you are exposed to, like, psilocybin or LSD uh, or mescaline, peyote, uh, or even any of these psychedelic drugs, you, you tend to perceive things a little bit deeper or more stylish. Or, you know, a tree becomes a myriad of colors and, and pastel colors. And I think it was, uh, was it Timothy Leary or was it Baba Ramdas or one of the early psychedelic guru says that, uh, that it's doors of, maybe it was Huxley, it's the doors of perception. Doors of perception, Huxley, yeah. And it was Huxley, doors of perception, and once you go through those doors of, of changed perceptions with the psychedelic, uh, you can always carry it with you. 
and that that's I think uh, one of the great things about these experiences is that people who uh, view uh, a tree as a myriad of colors and not just one shade of green, once they were not under the influence of psychedelic anymore, they can look at the tree and, and for the really first time notice all those colors are there and right. they've always been there, right. but our, our mind tends to filter things out and tends to be prejudiced over what we're supposed to see. And that's how we go through life in a, in a very sterile way of, of expectations or what we want to perceive rather than what's really there. And I think these, uh, these guided imageries and these trips that people are now taking under their therapists with psychedelics and, and uh, help to keep themselves from becoming paranoid or things like that while their experiences really does impact them in a positive emotional way that persists with them long after they've taken the drugs. Um, so this has been going on for uh, how long? A couple of years, I guess. Uh, it's only just now making its way into the news. What have you seen uh, so far in the way of analysis in in the form of uh, journal articles in terms of of how how this is being effective and and how it might move forward? Well, it's it's interesting. It's being picked up by mainstream media. It's not being uh, hyped too much it's not being sensationalized it's just sort of a casual a more casual mention about the use of these psychedelics in in different treatments and i think that's a, a noble approach uh, especially from the 60s actually i don't think um, there was ever any end of exploring the use of psychedelics in the treatment of very emotional states it's just that a lot of it went underground a lot of it was basically is being done basically unnoticed <laughs> well, by it, the it, press. Uh, and now, right now, the, the press seems to be interested in it. Uh, well, you couldn't write an academic article about it because it was completely frowned upon. You'd, be, you'd lose your, your academic uh, standing. Well, still, Harvard, uh, people at Harvard, Yale, big institutions uh, never quit looking at them and... Uh, really, even though yeah. even though there was it, it, it was it was uh, clearly uh, illegal in terms of federal law, and of course, no, not much grant funding certainly. Well, funding, you know, in a scary way, funding might have been through our government, and the federal law placing these things on Schedule One meant that they're illegal to make and distribute and use medically, and there's no medical use for them, but. It never prohibited uh, appropriate uh, research. So you can always apply for research and do research if you were an appropriate person and somebody the government trusted. Um, it's it's a, an amazing thing that Sasha Shogun, Alexander Shogun, I think finally confessed uh, years later that as he'd been developing the tryptamines and the phenethylamines into psychedelics, that he's actually working for the CIA that he was, they were funding him as to look at different drugs and how they affect the brain and how they may be potential chemical weapons and things like that. So and, and it just doesn't go, doesn't that go way back to the beginning? Oh yeah, yeah. The that's, uh, that's the CIA was definitely interested in that for. Well, they funded the original LSD right, studies exactly. and gave it to unknown, su uh, you know, subjects. They they got their subjects or their test subjects and they didn't even tell them they're going to give them anything or anything. They just gave it. To, I think, Army personnel right. 
who uh, having their breakfast in their orange juice didn't know that they had been dosed with LSD and had and then they were filming them on top of breakfast of champions yeah buildings in San Francisco's Presidio to see how it affected them in their daily drills and things like that so and then there were the agents the CIA agents who then uh, committed suicide after being dosed unknowingly with LSD so this has been going on for a while and there are people interested in how these things can be used on the evil side as well as the potential medical benefits side so uh, there's always that dark <laughs> side yeah that dark side that that probably fuels a lot of funding that wouldn't be there otherwise well it's pretty fascinating uh and it's it's good to see that uh, that we're you know taking our head out of the sand and exploring some things that that really have some some powerful potential well, we'll visit this topic again because it is, as Daryl said, uh, showing up more in the news, and it is a, it's a, a different uh, aspect of treatment, so we'll be talking more about it. Um, as ever, uh, those of you listening, if you have questions, comments, we'd love to hear them. Uh, stop by the website, uh, the CNS website, which is cnsproductions.com, and uh, drop us a note there, and um, we will uh, visit again uh, next time, Daryl. Thank you. Hey, great. Always talking to you, Howard. That wraps our pod for today. Thanks for visiting the CNS podcast. Please check back soon for the next in the series and visit our website, www.cnsproductions.com.